So as I've been saying for our Gospel of Mark series, and as I'll continue to say as we read through this gospel, I encourage you to pull out your pew Bible that might be in front of you or beside you. It's red, or um, let me see which ones are beside you. It's blue, just like that. You might also bring your Bible with you and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, so that you can follow along with me as I read the scripture so that we can be in the passage together. And please also remember that at the end of this time, I'll ask if there's any words or thoughts or insights that are sticking with you that you're carrying through the week. So if you have something that you want to share, feel free to jot that down so you can share it at the end. Before we begin to dig into this fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, I'll remind you a little bit about what happened in chapter 4. So in chapter 4, it starts with Jesus nodding Again, he's in his boat, and he's in kind of his boat pulpit. He's preaching. He's teaching in parables. The first thing that we hear about these parables is about that seed. If you plant it here, this is what happens. Over here, this is what happens. He goes on to teach in more parables about seed and light. And then we conclude chapter 4 again with this bookend of nautical Jesus, and he's back in the boat again. So if we had to summarize that Jesus of Gospel of Mark chapter 4, that's our teacher Jesus. So we can think about Gospel of Mark chapter 4 as our teacher Jesus. And at the end of that teacher Jesus moment, he's calming the disciples. Remember, he's calming the storm, the chaos around them as they're in their boat. And now, my friends, chapter 5 of the Gospel of Mark. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs ran with an unclean spirit to meet him. This man lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain, for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and he was bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, the man ran up and bowed down before him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? You by God, don't torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a hillside a great herd of swine was feeding on. And the unclean spirits begged Jesus, send us into the swine, let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned. The swineherds ran off, and others, the herders, they told in the city and the country what had happened, and then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to see Jesus, and they saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. And then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. 
As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. When Jesus had crossed again to the boat, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. And then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she might be made well and live. And so Jesus went with him. And this large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. And then there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but instead grew worse and worse. She had heard about Jesus, and so she came up beside him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of disease. And immediately, aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say who touched me? And he looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well, so go in peace and be healed. And while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Don't fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion and people were weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, Jesus said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And then he put them all outside. And he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. And he took that child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years old. And at this they were overcome with amazement. And Jesus strictly ordered them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Please join me in a spirit of prayer. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations and the wonderings and the insights of all of our hearts and minds together be acceptable in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So chapter 5, we begin again nautically. Jesus in the boat. And I'm going to read this first part of chapter 5 again. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man came out of the tombs with an unclean spirit, and he meets him. And this man, he had lived among the tombs, and nobody could restrain him, not with chains, not with locks, and for years and years they tried to do that, but no one could do it. 
And so night and day this man stayed out in the tombs and he wailed and he bruised himself with stones. So I'm going to pause right here to say that at its core, this very first part of chapter 5 of the Gospel of Mark is a description of Jesus' encounter with a man who's undergoing great mental and emotional distress. And during these times, there was perhaps not language that we have today and research that we have and MRIs and years and years of studies and data that we have to describe the complex mental and emotional states of humanity and the ways in which our brains have different chemistry. And and so there was not that language to describe that. And so perhaps instead what was described was demon possession. And this is a passage that I preach and research and write on a lot when I go around to churches to talk about mental illness in Christian communities. And sometime we'll come back and we'll go more in depth on the mental illness piece of this and how this is an intersection of mental illness in Christian communities and how this passage in particular was used by the Christian church to do great, great harm to many, many people for many, many years. But we'll come back to that at another time. For today, I'm going to encourage you not to focus so much on the idea that this man is assigned this label of demon possession, which is something that happened in biblical times very often as a way to describe something that we could today perhaps dissect as mania or psychosis with some features of self-harm. Instead, I invite you this morning to think about what it might have been like to be this man in terms of community. He is isolated. I invite you to think about what it's like perhaps to be this man who feels so out of control of his own mind and emotions and body. This man who has experienced with other people a sense of power dynamics that is below them, that is being controlled by them. This man has been so distressed and it must have been so isolating to be him. It must have felt as though the people around him didn't understand him and perhaps didn't care about him. And I wonder if you've ever or if anybody in your life has experienced that kind of great suffering and pain. So in the first part, we have this description of the man, and then we hear what Jesus does. When he saw Jesus from a distance, the man ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And then Jesus said to the man, to the spirit, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And then Jesus sends those demons, that legion, that sense of unrest, that sense of chaos into the pigs. And the pigs drown with that chaos in the sea. And there's a few items to note in this section. And the first and most important one might be that we think about the relationship that Jesus has with us and the relationship that Jesus has with this man being so interested and invested in this individual who is in such distress. He was so invested in this man's well-being and he desired to help him feel better. And people often call Jesus the great physician and he was that for the body, but he was also that for the mind in our scriptures. And he wanted this man to know that he was not 
his disease. He was not that chaos in his brain. He was actually something more than that. He was a sacred person, a child of God. And in this language of Mark, these demons are occupying his mind, and Jesus wanted to work with this man and to help him make clear his belovedness. He wanted to make clear that this child of God was still in there, despite the psychological layers of suffering that this man had, despite him feeling all bound up in it. And when I read this part of the Gospel of Mark, it makes me think about another part of Scripture where Jesus is at the tombs with Lazarus, and Lazarus is declared dead, and he's all bound up, and Jesus says, Lazarus, get up. And Lazarus comes out of the life of death and into the land of the living. And I see that imagery echoed here that Jesus says to this man, you know, these spirits get out and they go into the pigs and they drown in the river. And Jesus brings this man from a place of isolation and a place of death out in the tombs and away from community. And with his healing words, he brings him into the land of the living. He lets this man go free. And so these demons, we see them rushing with the pigs down off the hillside. And this imagery is really powerful. And so I wonder if you've had a time in your life where you've practiced a meditation, perhaps, that involves taking something chaotic from inside your mind or your body and imagining it leaving, maybe off with the waves, maybe into firelight, maybe into pigs on the hill. Sometimes when I feel really overwhelmed in my mind, I feel like I have so much going on or so many troubles that are weighing me down. I light a candle and I just imagine them literally going into the flame. And I wonder if you've ever practiced a meditation like that where you see something leaving. Maybe you've been sick or in pain and you just practice a meditation about that pain leaving your body. And that's what I'm reminded of when I see this chaos inside this man leaving him and going into the pigs. And so the people, what do they do when they see these pigs run off? They think, that is too far, Jesus. <laughs> That's too far. We like these more uh, civil healings. This is too much. And they become very afraid. And then they go back, and they're interested in seeing Jesus. But they walk up, and they realize that Jesus is sitting there with this man who had been so troubled And so they leave and they say, Jesus, please leave our neighborhood. And that man, he is so thankful to Jesus and he's asking, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, you stay here, but you can tell your friends what God has done for you. And so he does that. He goes away and he says, this is what God has done for me. But I want to think about what, what the neighbors thought. They were afraid. That's how the community felt when they saw this man who had suffered so greatly now sitting with Jesus, stable and sane, in his own dignity and his own power. And the people did not immediately embrace this idea of radical mental healing from pain and suffering. They were afraid and they asked Jesus, please just, just go along. And so again, we see Jesus getting back into his boat to move on to where this next healing of the chapter would occur. So Jesus gets back into the boat and he crosses the waters again. And I'm going to pause to zoom out here because like I said at the beginning, if chapter four is about Jesus the teacher, chapter five we're starting to understand is about Jesus the healer. 
Chapter four is about the teacher. Chapter five is about the healer. So we're going to see this healing continue through chapter five. So the second half of the chapter is Jesus continuing to heal, heal these people who are suffering. And he responds first to this man named Jairus, who has a request to Jesus to heal his daughter. And Jesus starts following Jairus to his daughter. And remember, Jairus had said to Jesus, my little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. This is an emergency. And so Jesus follows him. But as Jesus is following Jairus, so it's Jairus and then Jesus, but there's not, they're not by themselves. There's this massive crowd of people who has come around Jesus and they want something from him. They want healing. They want teaching. They want to be close to this prophet. And among them, there's this woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years of her life. And she'd endured so much under every physician. She'd spent all of her money and she wasn't any better. And she'd heard about Jesus, so she comes up behind him and she touches his garment thinking, if I can just touch any part of him, I think I will be made well. And now at first glance, maybe we don't see the echo from the first part of chapter 5 to the second part. But here's something to consider. That the mentally ill man in the hills and the young woman with this ongoing hemorrhage have this striking similarity that they are both unclean. They're both not suffering from uh, illness or suffering that is dignified in the culture and the society. They're suffering from being in pain and in isolation, but they're also suffering from being stigmatized in different ways. And it's interesting also the stigmatization for both of those people remaining today as some of our primary medical stigmatizations being uh, mental illness and menstruation. And so I would say we're perhaps not so far from this context that we're seeing in this particular chapter. And so what we see in these stories is Jesus' healing of those who are considered unclean by the general public. And in that healing, there is not only this reduction in suffering, there is also this restoration of social dignity and value in the community. And so the woman, she has such great faith, and she believes that if she can just touch Jesus' garments, she'll feel some healing and some relief, and it works. But Jesus feels it, doesn't he? He immediately is aware that this power has gone forth from him, and so he turns around in the crowd and he says, who touched my clothes? And the disciples, and part of the disciples' role in the Gospel of Mark is to be kind of always confused. And so the disciples say, <laughs> it's kind of our role too, right? The disciples say, do you see this big crowd? How can you possibly ask that question, right? Um, and so he looks all around. Jesus looks all around. And he sees, oh, it was her. He can tell. And she says this whole truth to Jesus that, uh, that she had touched his garments. And he isn't angry. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So Jesus feels that power going forth from him. That's pretty interesting. So Jesus has this feeling of this healing energy or power, or perhaps another word you might describe that as, going from his own body to another person's. And I used to be a chaplain in a hospital in Philadelphia, um, and I worked on an oncology unit. And one of the things that a lot of patients there derived a great deal of relief from was asking for Reiki practitioners to come into their room, and they would hold their hands over them, and occasionally they would touch them, but mostly just hold hands over them and practice their 
art and their craft, and they would focus so intently on this person and these parts of their body and their overall self and their healing, and the patients would report such great relief. And it was a really beautiful thing to watch. This one person's body and energy and intention helping another person to feel some relief. And I wonder if you've ever felt that, your own body's energy affecting another person's. I think about the ancient ritual of laying on of hands. And when we as a church lay hands on somebody and they're able to feel the energy from one hand and another hand and another and all of that intention going into their own body. So this woman feels that. She feels this energy coming from Jesus that heals her and Jesus blesses her saying, go in peace. And now there's poor Jairus who was just trying to get Jesus to come to his house and there's all these interruptions, though important. And finally, they make their way to Jairus' house but before they get there, while Jesus is still speaking, some people, they come from Jairus' house to Jairus and they say, don't even bother because your child is already dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But Jesus overhears this and he stops that and he goes to Jairus' house and there's these people already mourning, they're weeping and wailing and Jesus says, shh, and puts them away and he goes into the house, not with a big crowd, but with just a couple of people, and goes to the room where the child is. And he says to all the people to stop laughing and to leave him. And he goes into that room. So to zoom out a little, Jesus, he's finally arrived at this child's house after this healing of the woman that was on the way. And there's all these people around who are lacking in faith. There's all these people around who are saying it is way too late for you to do anything. There's in fact no healing to be done here because this child is already dead. And you'll notice that Jesus really doesn't put up with that. He just puts them outside. He doesn't let that be the voice in the room. He can't have that kind of energy and lack of faith around as he does his work. And so he took up this child's hand in his hand, and he said, Talitha, come, which means little girl, get up. And immediately, I want you to pay attention to that word immediately in the Gospel of Mark, immediately the girl gets up and begins to walk around, and she's 12 years old. And at this, they, the people in the room, they were overcome with amazement. And Jesus says um, to them, uh, no one should know this. Don't tell anyone. And then he tells them to give her something to eat, which I think is really interesting, that very practical need. <clears throat> so to look at that, that's the final bit in this gospel, chapter five. And he says to this girl, get up. And that's again an echo if you think about that story of Lazarus, get up. And it's not unlike saying get up, move from death to life, get up, move from whatever is binding you up to freedom, move from death to life, experience resurrection, get up. And then she does. And this is where he says, as he does fairly often in Mark, that no one should go telling people about what he's doing with these more radical parts of healing that are bringing someone from death or even the brink of it to life. 
And what this is called is the secrecy motif in the Gospel of Mark. And so I encourage you to notice when that comes up at other times in the Gospel of Mark. And it's a feature of, uh, of all the Gospels, but especially of the Gospel of Mark, this idea of, shh, don't tell anybody. And I wonder why you think that is. Another thing to notice in this final bit of the chapter 5 is this use of the word immediately, and that's another part of the Gospel of Mark. If we were going to do quick bullet points, what is the Gospel of Mark? Immediately is Mark's word. He uses that very often. And that's a marker. When you see scripture that uses the word immediately, you can almost often guess that it's from the Gospel of Mark. It's part of what makes this very fast pace of a Gospel. And that's kind of what this is, right? Fast-paced gospel, it's a series of these immediate healings with not a lot of connective tissue between them. We go from this man with mental illness who's living out in the tombs to this woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years to this young girl. And what are the three things that unite those three demographics of people? They have very little social power. Man with mental illness woman who's been bleeding for years, small child, very little social power, and they are immediately cared for and healed by God and Jesus. And that immediateness is something that a lot of people hope for in times of suffering. I know I have, and that makes really good sense, to desire freedom from suffering immediately. But more often our suffering and our distress lasts so much longer, doesn't it? And we often live in this chronos time, world in which minutes march into hours, into days, and we may not feel much immediate relief from what ails us. And yet, that doesn't mean that God is not working in the midst of it, that God is not there in care for us. Because in some ways, what we could look at in this Gospel of Mark story is that perhaps this is more of an explanation of God's relationship to us in Kronos not Kronos time, but Kairos time, which is God's time. Time of the people is Kronos time. Time of God is God's time. And so this timeline is not bound up by the things of this world, but is perhaps more eternal, more ethereal, more mysterious, more wondrous. Perhaps in that kind of a timeline, God is actually reaching out to us for an immediate healing. And it is happening, even if in Kronos time, it may not feel that way at all. What we know about God and Jesus from this morning's stories in the Gospel of Mark chapter 5 is that we worship a God who does care for us, who wants us to feel safe and well in body, mind, and spirit, and who wants us to live in dignity and community, and who wants us to live resurrected lives.